on to the book of John. So we started this series in early February, uh, walking through the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 9 if you want to turn there and get ready, if you want to follow along. Uh, John is one of the biographies of Jesus. John was, was his closest disciple um, when he was here on earth. And, um, and John builds his biography around seven miracles or, or seven signs. Um, and he starts, he starts off in chapter one. He says, you know what? God became flesh. The glory of God became flesh. And, and he dwelled with us. And this is what grace and truth looks like. That's how he introduces his gospel. And then he closes his gospel, last couple sentences. He says, you know what? There is not enough paper in the world to write the miracles that Jesus did while he was here. But these signs were written so that you would see and believe. So what he's basically saying is of all the things that Jesus did, these seven signs really showcase God in the flesh. And so we look at these seven signs. In the first one, um, Jesus turned 180 gallons of water into wine. He brought in pallets of wine to save a party. Um, second sign is he, uh, he healed a, a hated politician's son, kind of saying that, you know, I, love, I even love that guy. Um, he he uh, attacked the religious establishment, a lot of the man-made rules with his third sign. He fed thousands of people then with his fourth sign with just a boy's lunch. He took a little boy's lunch and he multiplied it, kind of saying, whatever you bring to me, I can take it and do amazing things with. Then he walked on water. I'm Lord over the physical elements, over the physical laws of the universe. And then he invited Peter to do the same. Kind of saying, if you keep your eyes on me, you can do the the impossible as well. And then we get to this miracle. It's It's a divine object lesson. Jesus is going to do in the physical world... What he does in the spiritual world, it's kind of like he's saying, I'm going to show you this physical miracle so you can understand uh, what's going on in in the spiritual world. And I I really appreciate the miracle in John 9, Jesus healing a blind man saying, I am the light of the world. And all that means, and, and, and so a lot of the things that I am most passionate about and a lot of the questions that I get asked most often as a pastor are wrapped up in this miracle. And so like if we were at Wings or something like that, and you said, hey, how do I understand, how do I interpret all the craziness in this world? And why did this bad thing happen to me? And how do I really hear from God? If you were to say things like that to me, I'd say, well, let's, let's look at this miracle in John 9. I think it, it wraps up a lot of the major questions that we wrestle with as human beings. That's why I appreciate it. So John 9, and I just learned there are a couple different like versions of the New International Version, and, and I got things messed up. So my version here is a little bit different than that, but I don't think it's going to be distracting. I just want to acknowledge, like, don't get hung up on the different wording. I paraphrase half the time anyway. Okay, so John 9, verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man... Blind from birth. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. So that frames up the the condition here. The condition is a lifelong from birth blindness. And we know that this is a divine object lesson. So really what we're talking about here is, is the idea of not only physical blindness, but spiritual 
blindness. Now, I have been blind for 10 minutes in my life. Not really blind, but it was essentially blind. And, and so um, I, I know, I, 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 I want to say years, probably seven, eight, nine years ago, I told this story. I, I'm sure those of you there haven't memorized. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and, 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 and tell it again because, like I said in the first service, it's one of my favorite stories about me. Um, so it was, it, was, it, was nine, it was yesterday in 1999 when I was 22 years old. Um, I wasn't married yet. I was, we were engaged. I had just graduated from college. We moved up here to start Polaris and um, to help get Polaris started anyway. I was the um, pastor of idiocracy at the time. Um, I was like, like just a slash pastor, assistant pastor, whatever. Um, and, and I was engaged. We were going to get married in July. This was probably around May or June, and it was the wedding shower. Now, I didn't go to the wedding shower. We went golfing or something like that, and the ladies got together from my extended family and friends at uh, my church at River Tree uh, Christian Church. And, and um, when the wedding shower was over, I showed up with Dad's van to get the loot, to collect the loot. And um, uh, I'm very familiar with this building. It was a building about this size, church about this size at the time, except that, that in the past few years it had exploded from like 350 to like 1,200. Just exploded with growth. And so they were building um, this massive addition. So picture if there was a church this size, and then like most of the parking lot out there became a, like, you know, it was like 100,000 square foot, 1,500 foot auditor, 15. 100-seat auditorium, 100,000-square-foot addition, classrooms, all that. So just this huge shell was, was up there in the back. Now, I was very familiar with the building because I um, had worked maintenance, worked preschool uh, during my college years there in the summer. So anyway, short story long. I wanted to go to the bathroom before we left for home, so I went to where it was in the old building, the old part of the building, and I walked through the bathroom door. Done it many times. Walked through that door, and, and the, the door plate was missing, but I didn't think anything of it. I knew it was the bathroom. And I walked in, and I stopped dead in my tracks because something was different. It was a different kind of blackness, total blackness, and very much the feeling like I had somehow walked into Narnia or like the, the, the middle of the universe. Something was just different, and I felt around for the light switch. There was no light switch. The door had locked behind me. Like it should have been locked and somehow had just not made a good connection there. So I'm locked in or out. And I realize this is the construction zone. I had stepped into the shell of the new 100,000 square foot building and couldn't see a thing. Like not my hand in front of my face. And I was clear on the other side of the building. There was no way for me to get anybody's attention. It was before cell phones. Like now, just flip out your camera and use it as a little flashlight, you know. But that was before any of that. So I had to try to find my way out of here. And it just started to take real small steps. I couldn't see a thing. And then it occurred to me, I don't know whether they're putting in a basement. Like I may be, you know, on the edge of... of um, the. the uh, Whatever. So anyway, real slow, made my way, finally saw a sliver of light. I started to adjust a little bit, and eventually I was able to, um, to get to a, a window, climb through the window to the outside. Went around 10 minutes later. My family's like, 
where were you? And I explained, well, I was touring the, the facility. Um, anyway, I did not like that feeling of total darkness, helplessness. And this was a man who had been born blind and all he had ever known was that kind of darkness. Now here's why this matters. What we learn in Scripture is that we are, as human beings, uh, spiritually disabled, spiritually handicapped, spiritually deformed, whatever word you want to use there. Spiritually speaking, we ain't right. The Bible says that when sin entered the world, it screwed up our spirituality. So that we are now spiritually handicapped. We are spiritually disabled. And it's, it's really important that we understand that. Because this is, this is a really messy world that we live in. And we approach these messes with this spiritual handicap. I mean, this is a world where there are apartment fires like that. We look at North Korea, we look at Russia, we look at Iran, and they look at us like that and try to figure out what's next. Where is this world headed? All kinds of very complicated issues, and as we try to make sense of all that, we need to recognize that while we're doing that, we're doing that through a spiritually handicapped lens. But then there's Jesus who says, I am the light of the world. There's Jesus who brings healing to that blindness. And so what he's saying is, I can do it physically and I can do it spiritually. Verse 2. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Verse 5, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There's that kind of framing of the whole thing. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Now, as much as we try to make Jesus this stained glass window, light skin, blow-dried hair, the Jesus of Scripture is, is like rugged, and, and he, he basically spits in this guy's face, essentially. Like, he doesn't, but he kind of does. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty rough-around-the-edges thing to do. Uh, spit in the ground and put it on his eyes. Now, he's probably doing that to symbolize the, the dirt spiritually that makes us blind he says go and wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent so the man went and washed and he came home seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg Uh, some claimed that he was others said no just it's just looks like him but he himself said nope that was me I'm the man How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He said, the man uh, that they called Jesus made some mud, put it in my eyes, told me to go wash. I went and washed, and and then I could see. Uh, Where is this man, they asked. I I don't know, he said. So 
Let's walk through this for a, a moment here because I think that this, this is going to center around uh, one of the fundamental questions that we humans love to ask with absolutely no answer. Uh, when something goes wrong, we ask, who's to blame? We want to know who's to blame. Now, we don't take it to this extreme. Like when the disciples see this man board blind, what do they ask Jesus? Who sinned? Is it his fault or is it his parents' fault? Most of us aren't at that point. Like we're not going to walk through a, a special needs room in the high school, go to the, the child who, who has the, the most visible disability and say, hey, is that, did he sin or his parents? Like, that could probably get you run out of town. That, that's not the kind of thing that we would ask anymore. Um, but we'll ask that of ourselves when something goes wrong in our life. What did I do wrong? And we think back to our sins of the past. I, I was in the waiting or in the uh, ER um, in the middle of a tragedy very recently when the person said, um, this is what I get. Very much a feeling like it's, it's our fault. So, so we tend to ask the question, why did this happen? As though um, there's a reason, as though uh, God set it into motion as a consequence. We still, I think, really struggle with this. But what Jesus does here, and, and this is, I, I think it's practical for all of us who ask that question. He seems to say, don't get caught up in the why. It didn't happen because he sinned. It didn't happen because his parents sinned. It's about how can this be used to give God credit? How can this be used to point to God? How can this be used to point other people to God? And so you reframe that question. I try not to get caught up in the why anymore. I've never had that delineated for me. Like God has never actually said, oh, I'll tell you why, blah, blah, blah. And I've never known anybody else who he said that to. But I can say, how can I use this to help other people along? I think that, and this is kind of a side note that could take months to, um, the question of, of disabilities or tragedies or why bad things happen. Um, why is there struggle? Now, some people, and it's, it's, a, it's practically a Christian mantra, everything happens for a reason. And, and it may, may very well be, there are lots of intelligent people who are, are convinced everything happens for a reason. Um, I personally am not so sure that that's the case. But here's what I know. God, whether or not he causes everything to happen for a reason, can use for good everything that happens. So I don't know whether he you know, sends you down a chute, whether he says with everything, okay, cancer, okay, job loss, okay, this, okay, that, and it's for this. I don't know how all that works. But I know, number one, when bad things happen, um, one of the reasons, like everything, everything passes by God's desk, at least. There's nothing that happens that God hasn't at least said, okay, he can intervene at any moment, he's in complete control. Um, 
sometimes bad things happen, I believe, because this is the age of faith. And when we watch Jesus go through in the Gospel of John, one of his great concerns seems to be, you know what, if I weren't doing these miracles, would people still believe? Like God is, there will be an age when we see Jesus face to face. And, um, and faith is done then. But this is the age of faith, and God wants to know, can we say, I'm believing anyway? So I think sometimes God says, okay, that can go on in, in her life, um, because I want to see, does she love me, even if I don't intervene? Now, there's, there's another, I think, reason that these things happen, and that's the growth. Um, pain is still, in my opinion, the number one source of growth, spiritual growth especially, in human beings. Um, sometimes we don't grow until we hurt and have to grow. But then finally, I, I think that one of the reasons that God says, uh, no, I'm okay with them going through that, is because it shows other people the strength that we found in God. And, and I think that the number one thing that could turn people who are far from God toward Him is probably not you explaining the mysteries of the Bible, but you saying, I found this real thing that's gotten me through these difficult times. And if you never go through difficult times, people can't see that strength that you've had and that you've found. I look at my, my friend uh, Gordon Meyer, pastor uh, of Hope Church, and um, very rare, one in a million, um, basically it, it, his stomach is just shut down. And he's in misery from resulting trickle-down effects of that. Um, and I would love for God to heal him, uh, but he hasn't. But to hear Gordon give credit to God and talk about how he sees God in the midst of that pain, there, there's, there's something powerful there. Sierra Bland, 16 years old, here at, at Polaris uh, Juvenile ALS, Juvenile Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, obviously a horrific diagnosis, but, but she says, Jesus will take care of me. And there's power in her faith that can face that and say, nope, I've, I've seen enough to know. And I think it's important that in the midst of pain, instead of getting hung up on the why question, followers of Jesus can say, I need to think about how I can use this to show other people that God is my strength. And that gives us a great focus to approach valleys. Now, I'm going to finish reading this, this, this script, this um, miracle here. Um, I'm down in verse 13. So they brought to the Pharisees, these are the leaders of the day. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Now this is important because in these religious leaders' minds, you made mud on the Sabbath, you healed on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. That, I mean, that, that's, that's ridiculous. But that's where they were. So because of this, the Pharisees uh, then asked uh, how he had received his sight. Well, he put mud on my eyes. Oh my gosh, Jesus is just doing all kinds of work on the Sabbath. 
And then I washed, and now I see you. You washed? You went to the, on the Sabbath? Now some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. He heals on the Sabbath. He can't be from God. And the other said, Well, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they, they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. So they say, well, what, what's your opinion of Jesus? He, you're the one who supposedly got healed. And so this guy said, well, he's a prophet. He's, he's from God. I mean, I... And they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say that was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Uh, We know he's our son, and we know that he's been born blind. How he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Now it goes on to say they were afraid to side with Jesus because they didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. So, so they said, oh, ask, ask our son. It's like they, we'll throw our kid under the bus. We're not touching that one. Um, a second time they summoned the man who had been, blind, been born blind. Uh, give glory to God by telling the truth. Enough of this nonsense. We know this man was a sinner. Tell us the truth. And he said, listen, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. Now, for me, this represents um, one of the most important lessons for us when we try to begin to um, take up responsibility for other people's spirituality. And by that I mean... Um, God wants you to care about your neighbors, about your coworkers, about your family members who are far from him. That matters to God. And, and a lot of times it matters to us, and we want to do things to help them get to where we are. But we're overwhelmed by the variables. Like, what if they ask about this? What if, what if, they, what if they ask me some crazy question about the Bible and I don't know? What if they say, well, uh, church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites, and here's my... Here's, here's how I got burned by a church. And what, do you th- and, and what I love about this example here, this case study, is here's a guy who just says, I don't know. All I know is it works for me. And I think that that's one of the most powerful things we can do because nobody can take that away from us. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. I don't know too many people who really turn to God um, because somehow the mysteries of the Bible and faith and discrepancies were all sorted out it's usually something relationally that happens where somebody's able to say hey here's what I'm finding in my life here's what I do know my kids love church and love Jesus now and are learning about the Bible here's what I do know when I pray it brings peace into my life here's what I do know when I read scripture it gives me a foundation to stand on Maybe you're only on the bottom of the Jesus rung, like of the ladder. You're on the first step, but you can say, you know what, over here, this is what's different in my life, and it matters to me. And that's a great place to start in, in, in helping other people get to where you are. And, and so I love that example in this sign from Jesus of the guy who just says, listen, you guys are the experts. All I know is I was blind, 
and now I see. Now let me do one more thing here. I, I, I can't let this, let this end before I, I just want to talk through the practical side of, of spiritual sight. So the guy's blind. We're blind, spiritually disabled. Jesus gives sight to the guy because what he's saying is, I give sight to you in your spiritual blindness. We still live in a messy world. How practically does Jesus give sight to us today? And this is where I'm like the blind guy here saying, I don't know, but here's what I know is true for me. Okay? Number one, the teachings and lifestyle of Jesus illuminate a clear path in this world. Doesn't mean you're going to be blessed beyond belief. Doesn't mean that you're going to get everything right or that everything's going to be great. But it gives you a clear place to move forward from. The teachings of Jesus keep you moving in the right direction and help you make sense of this world. They also can be applied to difficulties in life. I don't know how many times I've gone back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, don't worry, little flock. Your father knows what you need. You can't, by worrying, at a single hour to your life. Seek God's way of life first and his way of life, and all these things will be given to you. And I remind myself of that over and over when I approach difficult times or stressful times, when I get anxious. And it soothes me, the words of, of Jesus. I Just a quick parent story here, and, and you may totally disagree with this, and, that, and that's fine. Um, I, I, as, I, as I think through for my son, I wrote down the other day, I have seven years left um, before Spencer graduates. What do I want to do? With what experiences do I want to have? Because that's going to come and go like that. And one of the things that I really want is for Spencer to have the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's five through seven, those three chapters memorized deep in his, you know, in his psyche. Um, so I told him the other day, listen, Spencer, um, I will get you a Kyrie Irving signed jersey rookie card if you can memorize the those three chapters of Scripture. And he has twenty one verses down. Um, so it, it is doable, um, and, and I, I'm, I bribe my children to memorize Scripture, but I am desperate for them to have that particular Jesus teaching down because I think he illuminates with those three passages or those three chapters, 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. I think Jesus illuminates the whole landscape of the world and life, and, and, and that's a good place to start. Second thing is Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to wrap up with, with, this is John 16, I think. There we go. Um, this is Jesus at the end of his time with his disciples. He says, but in fact, it's best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into truth. So what Jesus is saying here is, when I go... The Holy Spirit will come and he will light the way. He will lead you into truth. And here's, this is a fact. I'm the blind guy here saying, I don't know how it works. I've just seen it to be true, okay? It is ridiculous to think that God still speaks. But I believe it to be true and I've seen it. And, and when we put the relational time in with Jesus, it starts to happen. And I've seen it time and again. A few quick examples. Um, there was uh, seven or eight years ago, Polaris was a mess, really struggling for direction. I was um, praying in, in a church lobby a ways from here and felt like God had said, you take Isaiah 58 back 
and I'll handle the rest. Talked to the leader, said, I really think that God is saying this, and a lot of the Isaiah 58 being God's command to care for those in need. You care for the underdog, you meet those needs, I'll handle the rest. And I told a lot of the leaders at Polaris, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of feeling that too. So we implemented that. We just said, listen, this is where we're headed. Since that time, it has been blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. It's no doubt for me that the Holy Spirit lit that up and said, here, let me show you. Another moment with this building. We were in a, the, the cinema, and, and this building was, was up for sale for $1.2 million. I think we had about $15,000 in the bank as a church to our name, so we weren't ready to make a cash offer. Um, and, and I had been through this building. It was all choppy. Certainly didn't have the vision for a new children's. How are we going to fix the children's area when we already don't have enough money to buy the thing? And, and I, I was driving by on Laurel one morning and, and, and just kind of said, no, right, God? Right, we're not, right? And, and felt like just, just that deep down Holy Spirit, um, I'm going to move you in there because you're going to need it. And didn't re- wasn't really excited to hear that. Um, I, I told my wife, Kelly, who's a, who's a credit officer, like for commercial, and, and she's like, huh? <laughs> If you'll know if that was God, because only God would get this organization and your capital um, into, and you know, here we are. And then the one other one other story, which for me is the is the ultimate in this. Um, so my wife and I, uh, are, uh, Kelly was pregnant for the second time. Um, really stressful pregnancy. Lots of really scary ultrasounds. Um, lots of scary talk. Uh, gave birth uh, to Lexi. She lived eight days and then, and then suddenly died. I know I told that. I don't like to dwell on that. I told that a couple weeks ago. But it leads to this story about God speaking. Um, so about five months later, Kelly's pregnant again with, with, with Elijah, our, our um, third child. We have two boys now. Um, and, and it was a Thursday night. Thursday evening, Kelly came down the stairs with a little stick in her hand and said, I'm pregnant again. And I just was gripped with fear. That's the only way. I was gripped with fear. Thoroughly dreading more ultrasounds. uh, Just the horror of all those kinds of things that had become real from Lexi. Um, I mean, I was was a wreck. The next day, the next morning was playgroup. Kelly worked part-time at the time. And so uh, she went to her playgroup with Spencer... And there's this lady there, eccentric lady named Kim, who rarely went. She went to that particular one, didn't know anybody really well. She walked right in, walked right up to Kelly. Nobody knew, because we're talking about like we're pregnant for a few weeks, which, you know, just not something after our past that we were ready to share to anybody. Kim came in, we don't know her well at all, I don't even know if Kelly knew her last name, and said, i got to talk to you because God came to me in a dream last night and told you that you're going to have a peaceful pregnancy. I don't want to say that, but I just need you to know that God said that and, and that. And there were ladies in that playgroup ready to like mob her. Like, how dare you be so insensitive, go up to a woman who just lost a baby and say something like that. Who are you to know? And, and Kelly came home and told me that. And like she didn't even tell any of the ladies there how relevant that was. Um, um, but I felt like in a very real way the Holy Spirit spoke to our family and you can chalk that up to coincidence that's a pretty amazing coincidence in 12 hours of, of 
But that was the ultimate example of God lighting the way, of God speaking. And, and, and so here's, let me just close with this. This is a dark world, and we are spiritually handicapped apart from Jesus. And I believe that to be completely true. And I believe that Jesus is the one who lights the way. And it doesn't happen because you hope it happens. It happens because you invest and you include Jesus in everything. And Jesus and the Spirit start to speak to you. And I hope that you won't settle for anything less than that kind of life. So we're going to do one more song. I want to invite you to stand. And during this song... Um, I'll hang out over there, and, or Jacqueline, you can hang out over there, and I'll hang out over here. And if there's anything to pray about, um, feel free to, to... Actually, Gene and April, will you hang out over there? Feel free to come up and, and pray about anything, but mainly, I want you to, to from the heart, this open the eyes of my heart, and I want for everybody in here to envision a, a relationship with Jesus that has him speaking and, and being light and giving sight spiritually to your life. And that doesn't happen with a simple prayer. That happens with you committing to the relationship as well because it's two-way. So we're going to give Jesus more time to speak in our life and we're going to seek him more and we're going to learn more about him and expect nothing short uh, of a two-way relationship of, of talking and listening um, and him talking and listening. Let's pray. Uh, God, we want to invite you to open our eyes and have no doubt that you'll do that. The issue is us. Um, we want to do better. We want to listen more. We want to we commune in, in deeper places with you. So open the eyes of our heart. We want to see you and we want you to help us see you in this crazy world. We want that kind of friendship with you. It starts now and never ends. In Jesus' name, amen.